If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel 6. Hi, my name's Gianni, and welcome to episode 154 of Pixel Sift. Now, Naftale, or Tale Faulkner, is from Naitorangi, Iwi, an Maori game developer who lives in regional New South Wales and has made the neon photographic game Umurangi Generation. Tale and I had this conversation a few months ago when the game had first been released in the context of the early days of COVID-19 in Australia, and coming off the back of some of the worst bushfires that Australia had ever seen. Umarangi Generation has been selected as part of the PAX EGX Left Field Collection, which is part of the reason why we decided to put this episode out this weekend, and you can find a demo of the game in the show notes of this episode. We'll talk about some of the personal experience uh, that went into making this game, building upon layers of layers of context into a story that's about the people who will bear witness to the end of the world. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Um, and now, can you tell me a little bit about your game for people who may not have, have come across it? Uh, just explain what it is. How do you how do you play it? What what sort of style of game is it? So, Umurangi Generation is a semi-realistic photography game um, set in a I'll say retro future. Um, but yeah, the idea with it is it's a game where you sort of take photos, but it's not really like a lot of games. It's kind of like photography slapped onto something else, like photography slapped onto, you know, being a detective or, you know, Pokemon Snap, where it's like photography slapped onto sort of the nature vibe of it. Um, the idea with Uberangi Generation was to sort of make a photography game where like the actual act of photography itself is like accurately portrayed and like sort of designing it around like a sort of set of assumptions that like wouldn't really um, lead players down sort of bad photography habits and things like that. It's sort of like, you know, one of the things um, when designing this game, it was kind of like, you know, uh, you really can't tell people what is or isn't creative or punish creativity because the moment you do that, uh, you're essentially like, you're essentially going to start conditioning players into sort of, uh, you know, the game or, you know, the electronic, you know, piece of software that has, you know, rules and exceptions built into it is going to start trying to tell humans what is or isn't, you know, creative or, or human. And like, so part of that was that like, you know, when um, designing this, you know, you're graded on color content and composition rather than like, you know, um, sort of other games where it's about, you know, framing stuff centered and, and getting a really like objective 
um, structure around the photos. So like players have a lot of, I guess, options and freedom to sort of take the photos however they want. Um, and I think part of that is because it's just sort of like, um, if you've ever followed like art discourse, it's sort of the idea that, you know, there's no really objectively good art. It's all subjective, you know, and from just a like, you know, human sense, who the hell is going to, you know, let a computer tell them what is or isn't good when they feel an emotion to something. So as part of that, though, there there are, you know, there, there are pho- photo- photographs that are better in terms of money, even though the money sort of doesn't really mean anything. Um, so there is sort of a, a, you know, a reward system or sort of pointing towards a tr- sort of direction. How did you f- sort of want to frame that so that there are photos that are better, but not photos that are worthless, if that kind of makes so sense? So the interesting thing about the money is that actually came from a part of the design that I actually took out. Um, originally this game was actually going to be a little bit more cruel because it was going to be about what it's like to get by as a starving artist. The idea was you would take all these photos and earn all this money. And then at the end of every level, um, you know, rent, electricity, you know, all this stuff would just come out and just suck your paycheck away. And I wanted, you know, it was that idea of getting players to feel like, oh shit. Yeah. This is kind of what it's like to, you know, have this creative thing and, and really enjoy it. And then, you know, get slapped in the face with, you know, crippling debt i guess um but i ended up sort of taking that out um because i think after a while it just kind of didn't really fit with sort of the um tone if that makes sense like i think there is definitely room to explore that in a game in the future um i might not be the one to make it but i think you know games are really good at making players experience things which they might not experience in their actual you know lives so you know when you start to feel an emotional connection to like say this game's sort of later content, which I've seen a lot of people connect with really strongly. I think it's, you know, a lot of room to explore in that space. So like, yeah, that was sort of the original idea around it. And like I kept it in and I tried to sort of dial it back in a way where yet yeah, it's not really that consequential. It more just now is linked to, you know, one of the optional bonus objectives um, so that, you know, players who are really, you know, fixed on the world and fixed on the gameplay itself have something to sort of do during like a second run. Um, because I think with this game, um, not to toot my own horn or anything, I think it's that idea that, you know, uh, a second run, there's a lot of stuff you'll miss the first time through, but you'll probably want to clue yourself into because of, you know, what happens obviously towards the end. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a weird balance, I think, between, you know, we talk about art like games as art and, you know, games as product. And it's sort of like when we're talking about games as art, you know, you know, why should you have to put in, you know, like a, like a timer or um, a bunch of sort of gamey objectives, you know, what can't it just be a uh, experience where you, you know, just sit and shoot. And, and I guess the sad reality is that like, you know, um, you know, I want this, this game to sort of, reach certain people who might not really be receptive to a message if it is just a really um, experimental thing where there's not really a gameplay system tied to it because I guess uh, the reality is like a lot of um, gaming is just uh, it's very like a you know one channel kind of experience you know a lot of the discourse around it ends up being um, tied to things like you know frame rate and performance or you know sort of objective design decisions like you know if a game has smooth gameplay um versus a game that has you know clunky gameplay well if the clunky gameplay was intentional um you know is that still the same critique yeah what 
one of the things I did sort of notice is that a lot of the game has a, a very light touch, I would sort of describe it as, and, and it reminds me of a lot of um, games I've played at sort of installation spaces where, you know, anyone can kind of jump in and do that sort of thing. But there are obviously those little bits and pieces in it that make it a bit more gamey. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you sort of found that balance that made sure it felt right for you to sort of tell the story Mm. that you wanted to tell without it being too much of a make sure you get through this uh, um, level within X and get, you know, Y number of bonuses? Um, Yeah, well, I guess just to start with, um, yeah, so I think the thing about it is it's kind of like um, you're in a pretty interesting space when you sort of have a game all about taking photos, you know, because if you're telling people, I need you to take this, you know, vague description of a photo, you know, um, where you say to players, you know, can you take a photo of seven birds and it's up to you how you want to do that. Um, essentially, you're getting them to look at something and they get to choose how they look at it, obviously. Um, but I think it becomes one of those things where, like, with this game, um, you know, with the, the photo bounties that are in the game, the idea is that, like, you know, there's a mix of like, you know, puzzle based ones and the sort of like, you know, where's Wally, you know, pixel hunting stuff. But then there's also, yeah, the ones that are explicitly there to clue players into sort of the story and um, things like that, you know. Yeah, the, 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 the reality is like, you know, when it does take that shift midway through the game, um, I want players to at least have, like, I want players to sort of absorb the story through, you know, obviously the environment and things like that. And I think, you know, part of having the camera where you actually have to look and search around for things and pixel hunt and stuff like that, it means you have like an incredible opportunity to sort of get players looking at things that they probably would have run past otherwise. Um, You know, one of the things which I think was unintentional in this game, but thinking about it is like this game doesn't have a run or a sprint button, right? But, you know, the more I think about that now, this is post-release, I didn't plan this or anything. It's like, would players have actually just run past most of the, you know, world building and storytelling if they had that option to just, you know, sprint past and and, and play it more like a, you know, fast-paced game? That's, I mean, that is the thing because it's, it's, I mean, in a way, it's kind of a first-person shooter, isn't it? Instead of shooting bullets, you're shooting pictures. It's kind of interesting to me you sort of mentioned that there are those elements there and I know that when I was playing the game, the muscle memory made me want to press shift to kind of move around, especially in those last little elements when I was looking for, you know, a single word on the side of a car that spent me, took me a long time to find yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all of those sort of things. I'm just like, I've been here. I just want to race up here and just have a look at those sort of things. Um, sort of pairing stuff back, did it? Did it? Did you get sort of feedback from people saying that they really wanted that? And, and how much of that did you say, look, it, part of the experience is not having those things? Yeah, I think it's a really tough thing, and it—I mean, it, I'm not a parent yet, um, but I can imagine, you know, it's that whole thing of, yeah, is it for the player's own good, you know, to 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 run it through sort of things like this, you know, for me, um, you know, one of the communities I was really involved with at the beginning of its sort of inception was the um, Dark Souls community, uh, like Vardy Video, who's one of the biggest uploaders on that stuff. You know, he did all the law videos and that, which everyone. Um, you know, consumed really, um, I guess, like, religiously. Uh, that's not a throw on shade his way or anything. Um, but, you know, one of the things with those games is that, like, you know, there is that sort of attention to detail in, uh, you know, the environmental storytelling and whatnot, you know, where um, having a certain item placed somewhere tells a story that, you know, some players might gloss over. 
it was really about, I guess, striking a balance because like, like whilst the game does have all the storytelling and stuff, um, for me, I wasn't too worried if players didn't necessarily pick that up before the midway point. Once you reach that midway point, you have to pay attention. And there's a lot of things where you might've actually just like absorbed it, um, you know, in the back of your mind, like, Oh, what's going on there? Um, and not been aware of any of that. But once it, you know, hits you, you kind of, you know, connect all the dots and you go, Oh, I understand now. And, and that's what I mean about like, you know, people probably want to go through a second time because, um, you know, one of the things I tried to do with this game was make it that everything like on the walls and like posters and stuff like that, it is related, but it's never explicit in the sense of like, um, I'll use a like really vague example here. Um, so we're avoiding spoilers and stuff. Um, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's a poster I think for, um, I'm just trying to pick which one because I don't want to sort of like give the, the cheese away here, I guess. Uh, it's sort of like that idea that like, I think there there's one where it's just like, hey, you can soundproof your home. Call this number. Um, now, why would someone want to soundproof their home? It's not saying why. Like it's not explaining, you know, uh, like how we live in the moment where, you know, you know how ads at the moment um, and even before with the bushfires, it was that whole thing of let's not actually talk about the problem here. Let's talk as much around it as we can to keep people comfortable with sort of where they're living at this point. So like, you know, um, we're seeing... So maybe know, a clever tweak could have been, we're all in this together. Why yeah. not soundproof your home? Yeah, yeah. Or, or for <laughs> example, um, you know, I saw one the other day when I was um, like, I was I listened to YouTube as I drive because I don't really listen to the radio. So, you know, you get those ads that pop up every, you know, they're, they're really repetitive and it's things like, you know, oh, you know, now's more important than ever to stay together and then, so you should buy 25 gigs of data through Telstra and, you know, we'll get this, we'll, we'll get through this together. And it's that really, I think, cynical thing where like, um, for me, um, you know, this game for me was about exploring like a type of neoliberalism where it's kind of that idea that like, if you make people comfortable while you have like a boot on their neck or, you know, they're facing, um, you know, a crisis event, um, you know, they're going to eventually become comfortable. You know, we're seeing this with COVID. We um, saw it definitely with the bushfires, which, you know, that's what this game takes its main inspiration from. Um, I don't know if you found the uh, the newspaper that says the prime minister took a holiday to Rarotonga, but um, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I think it's like, um, for me, like it's all intentional. Um, it's just like one of those things where, you know, how much of that do you want to give away, you know, to begin with, you know, like I think with a lot of, world building and video games um there's this habit to sort of try and spell it all out in the first five minutes you know um like for example imagine any game and like you know you're going to the new area and you've got you know an npc companion with you and they say this is where we do the uh you know thing with the really important plot device and we're going to have to you know and, and it just for me i think uh just i'm sick of it <laughs> um you, you know like I think the best way to sort of tell those stories is to really take a step back and um, let the player sort of like either um, come to their own conclusion or like, I don't know, just like it's okay if they miss it. Well, I mean, what what I sort of noticed when I was playing through is it really felt like it was um, there's sort of layers of context in there. You know, there was parts that I sort of understood uh, while well, from playing for the game and, and seeing a lot of things like a lot of the Japanese anime, I, you know, I saw references in there that really looked like um, things like Neon Genesis Evangelion, yep. <laughs> um, and 
there's bits that I sort of understand in Australian. There's bits that I sort of understood with people who in my family who come from New Zealand. Um, but there was also bits that I, you know, I didn't always have all the context of some of the the Maori context that are sort of included in that. Uh, but I imagine for people who are playing this game when they come to it, they're picking up bits and pieces. Can you tell me how you sort of built up that layer and particularly talk to me a little bit more about putting some of the, your Maori heritage into this game? Yeah. So I guess for me, yeah, it is like layering was one of the things that I did because um, you know the whole idea around it is like. You know, the first layer, it's that, you know, direct, as you're saying, the anime comparison and stuff like that, which players who don't want to invest with, you know, the, the message of, you know, it being a kind of a mirror to the, the bushfires and things like that, um, they can ignore that, right? Um, and then there, I think there is also that deeper layer that I did write in, which, you know, is a, it's a Maori layer, if that makes sense, where, you know, like there's a lot of imagery in there, which streamers and that watching it, they've like unintentionally said things like, oh, wow, this... Um, this place is getting invaded. What's going on there, you know? And, and you know, for me, I'm, you know, Naitarangi and the game takes place where I'm from. Uh, it was about sort of putting certain elements of like, you know, my family story into the like world itself, just not in a way where it was, you know, like it was the similar event, but it wasn't like, you know, there's that bit midway where, you know, the soldiers are injured, right? For me, I know my family history. What happened with that was that at the Battle of Gate Par, which was where, not just Maori, but, you know, um, Pakia or Maori, uh, white people who had come to Tauranga and, like, you know, hooked up. Like, we, 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 you know, we weren't, like, this exclusive, you know, standoffy people. If you wanted to live here, like, you know, you'd live here, but you wouldn't try and step on us kind of thing. So what happened at Gay Pa was that, like, it was this battle and I found a, uh, you know, journal or a newspaper, sorry, from Auckland or something, and it says, oh, you know, the British Army suffered their worst defeat ever against a army of half-naked savages. The thing about that battle with these supposed half-naked savages is the soldiers, the British soldiers who were left behind, were all nursed back to health and sent on their way. And so, like, this idea in this game is that the UN forces who are in this world, yeah, they are stepping on the necks of people, but it's not really their fault. It's the system that's put them there in the first place you know like i think a lot of players are pretty receptive to the you know when they go to those spaces the the un spaces they can see that those un soldiers aren't exactly happy to be there and they're not exactly like thrilled about how it's all being handled and so you know stuff like that where i didn't want to necessarily like there are things about colonization reality is that's something that we deal with every day the flow and effects from that part of like this game is that you know i wanted to make a game that maori could you know play as well and part of that is that, you know, we have conversations that have extended far beyond the sort of surface level stuff about was it right or wrong? Because, you know, the reality is that um, times kept moving forward and our culture is not static. There's a uh, band called the Patia Maori Club, which if you've ever seen Taika Waititi's earlier movie, Boy, um, at the end he does, you know, the thriller Haka and it's that song. And, you know, the, the most awesome thing about that is that was made in the 80s and it's this song with, you know, a lot of traditional dance a little like the poi and things like that and it's got you know song but it's also got a synth you know and it's about taking that culture and showing that you know we can rock it in the real world, you know like in the in the not the real world the modern you know what i mean like it's not just all about everything comes from everything else isn't it like every yeah, moment exactly, is influenced yeah. by what's come before 
um, from a lot of different places. One, one thing you sort of touched on earlier, he was talking about how much you loved the sort of the lore videos of Dark Souls and sort of digging into that and it became a big thing. Now, are you, I mean, would you be hoping that somebody might go through and I guess dig through the cultural context, the historical context, and maybe do like a breakdown video for your game? Oh, yeah, well, I can definitely imagine it. Um, I don't know if anyone would. Um, I think it's one of those things where like the initial Dark Souls community was very small and very like passionate and the lore video stuff really came from, um, you know, I think a lot of, you know, forum and, and then the community trying to work it out and whatnot. And I think there is a bit of that community starting at the moment with like a lot of those players, are, you know, coming together and like they're sharing their photos, you know, because um, that's a big part of um, the game in the terms like it's not explicit in the game, but does say at the end hey good job here's your photos take a look and i think you know once players actually revisit what they took they they get a sense of pride of of what happened and so like i think when players start to piece together the law um you know they've got all the tools to do that they got you know a camera and all this stuff where like the story itself is 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 there and and like one of the greatest things i think at the moment is that you know i'm seeing people finish the game and they're having their own interpretation that sort of connects to themselves. So, you know, there is the, the, the story, I think, of, you know, this thing coming to, you know, Tauranga and, you know, really like doing a lot of damage, but also, you know, how's the government handling it and everything like that. Um, but then I think there's also the thing where, like, you know, had a um, Brazilian journalist contact me and they just finished it and they said, you know, this really jumped out to me because of how, you know, Brazil's handling COVID and also the bushfires that happened over there. So I think it's one of those things where, you know, when I think about that, it's, uh, yeah, is it, <laughs> I don't really, I don't really know how to go further into that, I guess. Well, I, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of that thing with where everyone sort of brings their own context to the interpretation of art, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, maybe as we kind of progressed through, you know, there's, there's. I mean, I'm sure when you were making the game, you weren't factoring in the fact that we'd have a global pandemic as part of <laughs> this sort of cycle. But a lot of the context in that, you know, even just the people yeah. where you have to take a photo of a couple, uh, like a parent and a child, it looks like, and they're wearing face masks yeah. at the time. And I'm like, wow, that really feels like it was just a moment that happened to be in the so game. About all that was that, like, you know, when these bushfires happened, my mum's house got completely destroyed, eh? like completely destroyed, like just flattened and and you know so i've seen what it's like behind the tape if that makes sense because i went there and videoed and took photos and stuff like that because i was like well um you know one of the things about that was that um when you go there it is an experience where okay you're driving out and you get to a checkpoint and the people let you through and then you start to see this just really weird surreal like you know Here's a road and one half of it's just completely like torched trees, nothing gone. And the other half's totally fine. Um, you know, and then you go out to this space and, you know, this house we had, that was an old house. And, um, you know, there was a thing where there was asbestos um, suspected. And I don't know if that was suspected asbestos that was from the house or from other houses that had burned down. But, you know, what ended up happening there was you had to bring out a mask because you didn't want to breathe that in. You know, it was really surreal because, like, what we did is we went out one day and just saw it for what it is, you know. Like, I can send you some of these photos. It looks like, it looked like, um, you know, those photos you'd see of hills in Vietnam after the um, Americans had just bombed the shit out of them, you know. Um, just completely flat, like moon dust and then sticks 
just like that. Um, you know, and then we revisited that space the next day. So, so stuff like that, you know, um, I think that really played into not just like the shocking imagery, but also like, you know, uh, we, we, you know, we all know famously how ScoMo handled this and, um, you know, not getting into ScoMo, but he's more or less just a, you know, symptom of a larger issue. Um, you know, ScoMo might be gone in six months, but I don't think we're going to, you know, not see the same thing happen over and over again where, you know, it ends up being that the only reason people start caring about the bushfires is because they're getting close to North Shore Sydney. So, ultimately, do you think this is a hopeful game or do you think it's a game that kind of is, is taking stock of the place where we are right now? So, the game's called Umanangi Generation and that's roughly translates to Red Sky Generation or like, you know, that's the kind of red you might see in an oven or, you know, in that sunset that you'd see, you know, um, you know, as the sun goes down and whatnot. Um, and I chose that name because it's about this idea of the Umarangi generation are the last generation who have to watch this shit happen again. Um, you know, it could be, could be climate change, like fires, it could be floods, it could be anything. It's like this idea that, you know, we know this is coming, the sort of older generation aren't doing anything about it. Yeah, for me, I, I guess it's like, you know, this Umarangi generation could be the generation coming through at the moment, like the ones a bit younger than millennials. Um, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've got the science in at the moment on this climate change stuff and people are saying about 10 years from now, it's going to be pretty, pretty bad. But, you know, it could be in the future, you know, like um, I know for a fact that like, you know, I as a millennial who think a lot of this stuff, I see people in my same age demographic and they're totally willing to jump onto the whole um, mindset that's put us here in the first place. Uh, one of the things I think about a lot is like there was this guy I met uh, at a conference a couple of years ago, uh, a Native American guy, and he um, he sort of said, everyone wants to go back to their traditional ways, but it's those traditional ways that got us in this mess in the first place, you know? A lot of those sort of, I guess, far-right groups, you know, they're, they're, they're schooling up a lot of these young people at the moment into taking their place once they, they go. So I don't necessarily think that the Umurangi generation are you know, millennials or anything. I think it's more that idea. It's the people who have to sit in a space where, um, you know, they can't they can't do anything about it. For people who are going to play this game, what's the thing that you would sort of encourage them to do or or not do before they come into it? So, first thing, it's a it's a game where you can just chill out. You don't have to do the bonus objectives. Just take your time. Um, go at your own pace. If you don't want to, you know, solve a objective or you know you're finding it hard, you can probably Google the answer. Uh, I think a lot of people, they're really liking the, you know, aha moment of, you know, the Where's Wally type gameplay where it is, you know, well, I spy books where, you know, the fun is finding it yourself. If you're not, like, enjoying it, don't feel bad. I mean, the, 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 the idea is that, like, the fun in the game really, I think, comes from taking the photos yourself and then also, you know, sort of exploring around that space. So, uh, I, I know that, like, for me, it's it's one of those things where I'm kind of, like, the coin is just currently up in the air flipping because I don't know if it's really the thing of some people are kind of going sort of like gamer brain lizard mode, if that makes sense, where they're sort of like they are approaching it sort of like a normal game, but the game really doesn't punish you for, for that. So 
don't be too hard on yourself, I guess. Um, do you think there is, I guess, a sort of a tension that already sits there just because of the way that you've sort of delivered this medium? Because people are starting to understand that games can be used to deliver a sort of different context and different sort of ideas. But there is still that idea that if you get in this game, a lot of people do it because they want to get in and get out and maybe they want to finish the whole game in seven minutes. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> like how does that sort of tension sit with you? So something I think, when you asked that question, it made me think about was like, you know, the reality is at the moment we're living in a space where I think gaming is quite right wing, if that makes sense. And um, I think if you have a game that has, you know, I think a message that does parallel climate change or, or whatever, you're going to have people get upset. Now, should you cater to those people? I don't think so. They'd never cater to me. And so the thing I think about is that, like, you know, if I'm going to tackle this stuff, I'm going to punch hard. And I think, like, you know, f- for me, you know, the game obviously has non-white people in it, which uh, it's weird to, to have to try and talk around that in some spaces, you know. That's that's seen as a virtue signal or, you know, oh, identity politics. But the reality is that we exist. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's LGBT people in the game and whatnot. And I think the idea is if you punch hard enough, they can't just, you know, latch on to one thing. They've got to actually absorb the content as a whole. And so, you know, for me, it was, you know, the reality is like fascists are going to always exist. There's a paper called Fascism by Umberto Eco and he talks about like your, your 20th century fascists, you know, who might have your armbands and, you know, militaristic stuff. They can abandon all that and they can move on to something else, but they'll still have that family resemblance. He, he kind of talks about the fact that like, you know, like we're seeing it today, you know, like, like you said, of fascists at the moment, they don't parade the street, they get a nice haircut and wear a suit and you know what I mean? Like wear a nice blazer and got the white collar turtleneck and, and all that. And you get the uniform is interchangeable. It's the ideology behind it. Though. Yeah. And it's like, uh, there's a guy called uh, Christian, I can't remember his last name, it's like Piccanini or something. And he sort of was a neo-Nazi and he was the guy who came up with the idea of softening that message. And so for me, like I got a um, Steam review and it was obviously one of those guys pretending to be Aboriginal because you could tell like just reading his message that if you call yourself like a black, you're probably not, you know, like it's, it's pretty obvious. You know, it's one of those things where, like, I think those fascists are out there, you know, existing in this space as an Indigenous person, they're going to attack me anyway. So, like, I'll just punch hard, you know what I mean? <laughs> might, as well, might as well make some art and then you might bring some people along on the way. Yeah. And, and, like, you know, the other thing is, like, you know, it's weird I have to even think about that. But, like, that's the reality of, you know, where we're in at the moment. You know, we have seen that that, that rise in fascism over the last, like, what, 10 years? And um, it's become pretty, like, blinding, I think, because, like, I still think we're kind of in that space where a lot of people still aren't even aware that these guys are like they have softened their message or that they have, you know, infiltrated a lot of discourse. And it's usually with that idea of, oh, isn't, doesn't it, doesn't it feel bad that they want to, you know, erase you? It's never been the case. It's just been that everyone gets a go. But anyway, to me, to me as someone who's been playing games for for a long time since sort of the you know early or late nineties, people sort of seem like they're only just cluing onto the online conversation in a way that I have already heard for many, many years. And people go, you know, games are not radicalizing. And of course, there are artworks in there, but you always have come across those people as well who are those sort of, you know, their personal identity is just in reacting and, and attacking other people. I mean, the, the reality is like that that Steam review I'm talking about earlier said that this game was identity politics. And then literally the next sentence later said, I am, you know, a black and and, and I am offended and, like, you know, doing the exact same thing you're accusing them. No, but I just think it's interesting because, I mean, you know, you, there are other ways. Like, you could have potentially have made a film, right, mm. where there is a, an audience that seems to be a little bit more 
um, I guess, more receptive into, I mean, the New Zealand filmmaking scene and the Australian filmmaking scene is really great at this sort of stuff. And you mentioned Taika Waititi as well and, like, all of the films that he's done. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but a game is a more challenging space. Was that important for you to do that? I, I think, you know, one of the things which I think about a lot with stuff like that is one of the things about games media is that it's very much a millennial entertainment source. Eh? Like even Gen X, who are younger Gen X, even they're kind of still like, nah, whatever, okay. Like it's just a toy or something. Whereas I think like games at the moment um, very much are sort of like, you know, we grew up during that shift, you know, like where it went from, you know, the sort of just platformer toy type thing to, you know, even just like a few years ago, you know, we're getting pretty like cool stuff like, um, you know, Senwa's Sacrifice where the reality is that, mental health is on the rise and this game in some way talked about that and so yeah the thing i think about is that games as a medium is growing at the moment into a really interesting space you know there's a paper i saw a couple years ago and it was this idea of like you know you have like game qua game which is like you know tetris and pac-man and that and then you have like you know games as a work of art and you know i think it's that whole thing where you know it's just just like with film right you've got you know, your Oscar bait, you know, type artsy movies, but then you've also got, you know, your dumb schlock that is unapologetically dumb schlock that you consume. And, you know, for me, it's that idea that, like, I'd like to see, like, myself in this this industry kind of as, like, you know, someone who can help bring that forward because I, I feel like, for me, you know, I've got a couple of ideas that I think would work really well and I don't really think you could do them in a film because the difference between, like, a film and a game is, like, in a game, you're an active participant. And, um, you know, that's what this game sort of like, you know, I think connects with a lot of people on is that, you know, by the end, you're actually kind of like connected to the people you're around. Anyone listening to this and you're kind of wanting to see more in, uh, Indigenous game designers, um, you know, like for me, I'm kind of in a bit of a fraught space. I'm a Maori person working in Australia making Indigenous games, which you know, there's a little bit of stuff around there. But um you know, we are starting to see Aboriginal designers come through too. But the person I'd recommend you follow who's really passionate and really good at um, promoting and, and really getting the stuff on your eyes, like in your radar, is um, Dia Lassina. I can't really say her last name, but she's a uh, reporter and she's often always connecting people up with this stuff, getting it in their, their eyeballs and things like that. And, you know, I'm part of, you know, Indigenous game design groups and, it's really obvious that the stuff that's coming out of there is um, really fresh and new. And, you know, something I think we're all in agreement of is that when we make these games, we're not making like a tourist experience. We're not going to make some game where it's, you know, really even even entertaining the sort of stereotypes and, and things like that. We might critique them, but for me as a Maori person, if you want the um, like touristy version of, what it means to be Maori, I don't think Umarangi Generation's the place where you're really going to find it. That's Tale Faulkner uh, talking about Umarangi Generation selected as part of the PAX EGX Left Field Collection. Uh, our conversation, we had it a few months ago uh, in the early days of COVID-19 and uh, when the game had just been released, um, but it's a real pleasure to be able to share that with you now. Coming up, we will be bringing you some PAX Online content as well. So keep an eye on our, our website, on our social media. We're going to talk to some of this, the other titles that have been selected, uh, which were made in Australia as part of uh, the PAX Showcase. So keep an eye out on that. Uh, and of course, you can find information about all the stuff we've talked about, including a link to the demo, which is available now 
of Umurangi Generation uh, on the show notes of this episode and on our website. Our website is pixelsift.com.au. If you like the show, you can share it with a friend. Uh, that'll really help us out. Tell people who you think uh, might enjoy this and get them to check out the show. Uh, if you want to be part of the conversation with us, share the work that you're doing. Join us in our really vibrant Discord server that we've got going on uh, where people are sharing their work all the time. And if you want to get an idea of what it's like uh, to do something creative or you want to get some inspiration from other people who are doing great work, that's a great place for you to go. That is pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord uh, where you can join up there. That's all for now. Until next time, have fun. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 